so it's a common misconception these days that if you want to be a good neutral parent, you don't raise your kids with a religion. You wait for them to be old enough, right? And then you let them choose. That kind of misconception, I think, gets so many things wrong I want to get into today. It reminds me of another common misconception. Alex, we were talking about this. There are many people who think Switzerland was neutral during World War II because they were pacifist, as opposed to the fact that they remained neutral because they were armed to the teeth. Ain't nobody going to tell Switzerland what to do. That's why they were neutral. <laughs> yeah, it's what a pacifist nation that forces every adult to get at least, what, a year of military training. They still do this. Yeah. And Hitler threatened the Swiss with invasion, and they said, come on, buddy. We'll, we'll love, we would love to have you in our country. Yeah. Because they would have destroyed him, and he knew it. Yeah. And let's, let's not remember the Swiss still guard the Pope. Yes, they do. <laughs> His personal guard, yeah. yeah. If you learn nothing else from this episode, <laughs> the Swiss are neutral because they can be. Yeah. Not because they're <laughs> But you know the best thing about the Swiss? Besides from their cheese? Well, <laughs> their watches or their knives? Yeah. Well, the their flag clock. is a big plus. Oh. Oh, welcome to 10,000 Places, where we don't, we don't have a tag, <laughs> where we like Fruity Pebbles. And Rice Krispies. Uh, okay. I'm Alex Gilmer. I'm Justin Aquila. I'm Lewis Pearson. So, your opener, ta- being neutral is taking a stance. Being neutral is a stance that says there is no privileged account from any religion so you can choose from whatever you want, like it's a buffet is an often used analogy, right? It's a stance that we don't have any dog in this fight, right? And that's a stance. So like if I ask my student to write an opinion piece and the student just doesn't write it, it's a stance. It's a bad stance because it's going to get them an F. Their stance is that I don't want to have an opinion. Right. Or that I don't feel like doing it or whatever. But I don't, I don't look at that and say... Wow, I really need to leave them free to choose. No. So it's not even true. But secondly, nobody does that about politics, morals. Okay, Who, who says, I'm going to raise my child moral free so that they can grow up and choose their but own isn't, moral? Isn't that the whole relativistic movement? Well, I think it's heading there. I think religion was just the start of it. And, I'm, and I think any reasoning person can see how ridiculous this is. But also to remain neutral is to take a stance. Switzerland is taking a stance. Yeah, they're not going to help the allies or the axis. Right. They're refusing. Like, but, that's... but they help the allies. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, again, like, it's not a perfect, yeah. like, parallel from history, but the notion that you can do something without a stance is, like, everywhere you, you have to stand somewhere. Yeah. Well, here is where it cashes out practically. I think it's fed by this consumer model we have. Well, when I'm old enough to choose... Which shelf I want to buy from. Yeah, like that's the buy. buffet. I don't model, have to, yeah. you know. Like which the, I like. Like, do I like Rice Krispies or do I like Fruity Pebbles? Yeah. I think something like that's in the background. I like Fruity Pebbles. Okay. Yeah. Listeners, Rice if you want to send me Rice Krispies. I, oh my gosh, that is so Hands down. bland you. <laughs> also, <laughs> listeners, if you want to send us certificates for Fruity Pebbles or Post if you want to sponsor this <laughs> podcast. When a person doesn't give their kid religious practice. Oh, yeah, we're just back into it. Yeah, <laughs> good thing we got that out of the way. <laughs> this is what it's Audience like. reminded. Yes. Yeah. It's like saying, 
I'm not going to give you this thing until you're old enough to choose. But the real lesson that you're being taught is this thing doesn't matter. It's exactly what you're right? being taught. That's you're right. being formed in a life where religious practice is completely absent. You're not in a situation of neutrality. You are being actively formed to think religion at best is a nice add-on if ever you want it when you grow up. And that might be what they really do want. Like that might be what they want to form their children in. And that's actually like in the sense when I say that's fine, I don't mean that it's good. That is unfortunately the choice a parent can make. There's a lot of choices that parents can make that, you know, I wouldn't agree with. But like it is a formation. It is not neutral. It is not neutral. It is a formation. Yeah, I would say in some ways in the maybe not use the church, but Pope John Paul II in a papal document, Catechesi Tridende, says pretty clearly that he believed that parents should not bring their children to baptism if they were not going to raise them in the faith. He put it this way along the lines that once baptized, the child has a right to be evangelized. And in the church's canon law, it says that a pastor needs to have a reasonable hope that the child be raised in the faith in order for the baptism to take place. Open interpretation of reasonable hope, like there's the tiniest sliver. But there's also an alternative uh, world where you could see where there's a little bit of more reasons for the hope than fewer. Imagine a parent saying, you know, I don't want to force English as a first language on my kid. (laughs) I'm going to wait until the kid is old enough to choose if they want to speak Spanish or Japanese or whatever, you know, when they're old enough to choose but I'm not going to do this. We would not do it. Like if you did that, you're raising a feral child in some sense. You are disadvantaging your child. You're abusing your child. You're not allowing your child to be integrated into a community. You know, analogies usually help when you start with something that's very clearly commonsensical and you move to the thing that's being explained. And I think the language situation is very commonsensical that maybe you think there's certain things that are more poetically understood or experienced even if you had a different first language. You got to give the kid some kind of language, but not to give the kid any language is to make a stand and it's not neutral. And the same thing happens with baptism. When we have a child, the child had no choice over being born, right? No choice over being given life. You're welcome. Here's your gift. And the same thing happens with a language. No choice. You have to have something to start with. And maybe when the kid gets older, they can, can learn other languages, right? But the same thing I think happens with baptism that in this case, with infant baptism, the parents see a good thing like natural life, like language, that is going to give the child the benefits of being able to fully flourish as a human being, integrated into this life of the church and given God's sanctifying grace. And so to give this to a child is like giving the child natural life, like giving it language, and not to give it is clearly not a neutral position. But I would say it seems problematic in two ways. One, if there's a problem with it, and so you think that God could not command that, well, he did circumcision was done on the eighth day of infants, and that bound them to the law and made them accountable for not keeping the law, even though they never consented to it, okay? They were brought into the people of God, and they were brought into the covenant with all of its demands and consequences. And it didn't matter. And and benefits. And benefits, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And graces, yeah. And so, like, So that's how God set it up. And he didn't say, wait till they can choose whether or not they want to be an Israelite and whether or not they want to be in my covenant. Baptism works the same way. But again, if you understand what baptism is doing, there is no, in my mind, reasonable reason 
to not want your kid to have it. No greater gift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Baptism wipes away original sin, forgives you for any past sins. Now, babies don't generally have them. You are bringing them into, ontologically entering them into the life of the kingdom and people of God. The baptism is the portal in, just like circumcision. You are giving them the benefits of the spiritual graces that come with baptism, including the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You are literally dying and thus paying the punishment for sin, but not yourself dying. You are dying in Christ's own death and then being raised again. That is always the crowning achievement of baptism, that you are brought into the resurrection of Christ. You don't have to choose to live or be born. You don't have to choose to be a part of the people of God. If you're an adult, you can. But if you're a baby, you can be brought in just like you were brought in the law. And this is what baptism does. Why would you keep that from your child? Forgive me, listeners, if this is like you and you, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's like people who want to wait six months or a year or two years so that everybody can make it from out of town to see their, you know what? I would have loved my whole family to be there at John's baptism, but it has to get done quickly. Because there are so many things that are being given in baptism, you know? God's waiting. So is Satan. We've got to get this thing done. Wow, that should be a tagline for something. <laughs> baptism. God's waiting. So is Satan. <laughs> Choose baptism today. To show that also this isn't about works, right? I'm not the originator or author of life, but I am an essential agent in the procreative act that leads to my children coming to be. And again, the same is true with these analogies with language and with baptism. I'm not the author or originator of any of the languages that I speak, but I'm an essential agent in having my child learn at least one of these languages. And the same is true of baptism. I'm not the author or originator of the graces that come through it. God is. Through the church, I am the one who will bring my child to the church and ask for the gift of faith and the gift of baptism that God gives through that church. So again, even though I'm not the author or originator, I'm essential. And I think this, Justin, goes back to your point. It's clear if I'm going to give this gift to my child, implicit in that gift is the pruning and the yeah, flowering and yeah. the maturation of that gift, or the feeding of that gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've often thought of, too, the graces of baptism. I don't know how theologically accurate it is, so you can correct me. But when I was a kid, you may have experienced this, too. At Christmas is a little bit of overwhelming because you get so many gifts and there's always favorites and there's certain gifts that you receive that you immediately start to play with or if it's something you wear you immediately, it becomes your favorite so true. your favorite jacket I've, right I, that's I've never even <laughs> thought about that but it's so true yeah and then other gifts that just go on the shelf and I have distinct memories of like going back and in July and realizing like oh here's I got this for Christmas and I've yet to play with it it's like Christmas in the middle of July and sometimes the grace of baptism is that way, right? Christmas There's certain. Is so good. It's not as good as an adult. That's not true. We know the meaning of it. Sorry. Go ahead. In baptism, there's certain gifts that are immediately present to us and we're in relationship with, and other gifts that, you know, frankly, sometimes it takes years to unpack and unfold the meaning of and be in relationship well, with. Well, and there's some gifts that you can't use right away because you're not formed to. You're not formed to, to right. You can always continue to be formed and form yourself in the gifts, including the charisms yep. that you already have right. naturally. That is the, the gifts of the Spirit talked about in Galatians, which are distinct from the gift of the Spirit's talked about in Isaiah. The idea that like you would use all of these gifts immediately, that's not what it's about either, but it's all there. Yeah. You know? Alex, think about 
little baby Jack. I'm just remembering. I never stop thinking about <laughs> yeah. how he is so adorable. He's amazing. I'm remembering when all of my kids were infants, there's that time at the beginning where all I want you to do is just look at me. Oh my gosh, I am right? in that right now. Just though. look at please, me. Please, please look at me. Yeah. Just a little look. Or then when you look, you know, just, just smile. Yeah, just smile. A smile. Uh, just laugh. Just say something. And then you get to the, the teenage years, just have a conversation just with shut me. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think. So let's just draw out. Someone has a teenager and someone doesn't. <laughs> I, do, I, do not, I know. But as in many things, baptism is following the pattern that the life that God has given us has already shown us, right? We don't unpack all these gifts at the beginning. We're just waiting for the, the little moments of maturation where the, the child can just look at me, just laugh with me, just talk to me. Yeah. In baptism, the same is true. There's certain things that you get immediately and other things that you have to wait for. Pope Francis uses the word accompaniment. And as a parent, accompanying my daughter in the faith is one of the most beautiful things I think I can do. And it's along with my wife, and it's an outpouring of our primary vocation, one of our primary vocations. and fundamentally part of that accompaniment is, yes, at times it looks, you teach the child how to pray, you answer their questions, you take the opportunities and lessons and analogies and signs that life gives you to share a little bit of the gospel, to teach them that they're beloved children of God, and so on and so forth. So the gospel doesn't require us sitting down and preaching to our children all the time. It is, I love the image you use of, of a cultivation of a garden, right? So that the seeds of eternal life are planted in the child, the seeds of divine life, because they've received the, the Trinity, the indwelling of the Spirit, mm-hmm. and they've been baptized in Christ, and they're a son and daughter of the Father. Like, that's all planted, and we have this beautiful opportunity to accompany our child and cultivate that garden that is the Lord has planted in the work of baptism, always accompanied by His grace. Justin, it's, I think, providential when you talked about Christmas as a metaphor for the graces of baptism, because that's exactly how I thought about my own graces through the sacraments of initiation when I came back to the church as a revert. And the way I often put it was, I had been given this gift when I was young. And it was always consoling to know I had it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until my reversion to the faith that I realized there was something in the box yeah. that I was given. Mm-hmm. Like I could open it yeah. and actually start using it and benefiting from it. And I had never done that. And I think that actually happens with many of us. Like you say, you know, baptized, but not catechized. I have this thing that my parents gave me, but I didn't even know I could open this thing and start using it. Yeah. Yeah. There's an Italian priest, uh, Luigi Giussani, who founded the movement Community Liberation. He often speaks here of uh, analogy of a backpack. So oftentimes when we do this as parents, regardless of whether we're raising our children in the faith, we put all sorts of things in their backpack that we think will be valuable for life. Some because of our our own blindness and sin is not helpful for them, and some that is. And so Father Giussani goes on to say, "Is like the first step of of education is to fill the backpack. The second is as the child grows in maturity and has to be formed in his or her own freedom, is to accompany them as they go through the backpack themselves, and to help them weed out what might have been put in there that wasn't helpful, what is of real value." I've always loved that analogy, and it's it's a big part of how I see the ministry, which is an extension of that work. Yeah. Alex, you just mentioned like the scouts. That, yeah. I mean, that analogy came forward to me too when my son's a scoutmaster. He pointed out that scouts are scout-led, but they require parents. You can't just drop your scout right, off right, and leave, and right. up, which is what, how, sadly, some of us experienced the Catholic faith, get the yeah. uh, initiation sacraments, go to school, go to CCD, 
I'm out as a parent, it's, right? It, as a someone who teaches confirmation classes, I see that. And it's so disheartening. Yeah. Because you know that if what you're doing is not being reinforced at home, it's not going to be as helpful. Yeah. So even though Scouts are Scout-led, the parents need to be there to help model and, and do that, you know, right, going through the backpack. Right, and the right. same with our faith. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes along with like, speaking of baptism, right? Like one of the primary jobs of the parents is to evangelize the child, right? Having children is a form of evangelism. Yeah. The church talks about this. And then forming them. Yeah, with the accompaniment of the church, but it is actually primarily the parents' responsibility to evangelize. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It, How is, could it not be? Right. It, it is not your priest's job to evangelize everyone in the community. It's your job out there in, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and then, of course, in your family, right? So, like, there's always this kind of standoff between who's supposed to do the evangelization and the catechesis, who's yeah. supposed to form. And it is clearly both the lay and the clerical. Right. And as parents, God has gifted you. This is really, really dawning on me right now, obviously, as a new parent. Like, this whole human has been gifted to Mary Beth and myself, and we are responsible for raising him to be a person of truth, of goodness, of virtue, and a person who is formed by the gospel. That is mind-blowingly freaky and scary. And so you bet I'm going to baptize him because he needs all the help he can get. If he's got me as his father, <laughs> he needs all the help he can get. And God's using both of you. So my wife is one of the big reasons I've grown so much in grace as I have over the past 14 years now. But my kids are a huge part of it. If yeah, I hadn't had yeah. these kids, I'd be a much more selfish person than I am now. And you're pretty selfish. I am. I was, I was terrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was terrible just before. Kidding. But talk about formation, right? So we mentioned at the beginning that there are some who think, I'm not going to force my religion, but really you're forming your kids to think religion doesn't matter. But here's another common formation. We don't think about it, but this is what's happening. The kid will get it at parochial school. The kid will get it from father. What the formation is, is, oh, the family doesn't practice. The family doesn't care. What you do is when you have kids, you send them off to the school and the school doesn't. Right. So that is another kind of formation that's not, not optimal. And I mean, you think about like godparents, the parents, and then if you're an adult, your sponsor. In the Catholic Church, it is always a communal commitment, right? Right. There are people who are taking vows with you to watch after you and to help continue your journey, and they're part of the responsibility as well. One of the you mentioned godparents, one of the uh, or sponsors is, and we can say there's all this about confirmation as well. Exactly. But. Yeah. So the church, for those of you who have had to choose a godparent or have been a godparent, requires more of the godparent than it does to the parent, right? Because all the parent has to do- You listen in those. <laughs> is, oh, I know this. Yeah. Is, we pray for Jack every night. I'm, uh, yeah. He needs it. And you guys, we pray for all of you every oh, night. Yeah, thank yeah, you. That's awesome. As his godfather. <laughs> so yeah, they, they, they nourish. The godparents are there in case, well, a couple of reasons, right? So why does the godparent have to have more formation, have to be fully initiated, if they are married, be in a marriage that's recognized by the church and so forth. It's precisely because if the parent fails or is unable for whatever reason, because they're not Christian or they couldn't make the ceremony, the baptism, the godparent is the responsible for the proclamation of faith and the formation of the child. 
full stop. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and the, right. by asking at least the minimum requirements of godparents, the church is trying to ensure that someone is there for the child, even if the parents are utter slackers. Yes, even if the parents are utter slackers. Yeah. Which would put a godparent in an an uncomfortable position, I'm sure, but that is part of what you're signing up for. Yeah, I would argue that the godparent has more, probably more responsibility to the child than the parents in some yeah. sense. Well, we have friends who've really entered, sense. some friends who've really entered religious orders who said when they took their vows, I cannot be yeah. godmother because this kind of responsibility is is not consistent with my responsibilities as a, as a professed religious. It is that important. Yeah. I remember our oldest when when he was baptized, the lesson that you pointed out Justin is very clear in the extraordinary form where we gave him to the godparents and they walked off with him toward the sanctuary and we just had him. He's like 10 days old and we think it made it very clear to us we have a mission. He's not ours ultimately. Right. Oh, We're man. stewards, but he's yep. God's. Yep. And so oh. when the baby was given away and the godparents spoke on his behalf, we didn't. We thought that we're not precious about this. We're precious about it in the proper ways, but we weren't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That is like right in my heart. Ugh. That goes to the theology of gift, which is that the gift is received. So our children are received and then given back to the father, yeah. given back to the world in a sense. I, um, I don't delude. But yeah. Jack is mine. <laughs> yeah. He's all mine. But I know. Yeah, it's I, I don't yeah. delude myself yeah. when I was over at your house yesterday and it looked like Jack was looking at me. I don't delude myself into thinking he actually was. <laughs> but I was having a godfather moment with him just thinking, all right, man, I'm here. That's I'm awesome. here for you. That's awesome. I love, see, this is why I chose you. I got your back. Um, but yeah, so listener, I don't know, hopefully you've gained some stuff from this long two-part meandering conversation we've had on baptism, probably a little bit more all over the place than normal <laughs> for us. But I think there's been some really cool things that we've talked about to think about baptism. Do you guys have any final thoughts about? I think it feels more meandering to you as a new father. Everything's just alive right now. Oh, I'm thinking about the other episode too, though. Like just everything. We've we I don't know if we had a, like a systematic program on <laughs> baptism as we had. Yeah, just a conversation yeah, yeah. about the various things that. Yeah. But I, I do admit, yeah, all yeah. the father it's, stuff. Really it's not a bullet me. point. It's a firework explosion. That's what this was like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you know that's probably appropriate in many ways for a sacrament, especially yeah. a sacrament like baptism. I baptize you. <laughs> I believe in science. Not anymore, buddy. Uh, maybe I'll. Clo- <laughs> I've got a little I'll, theological virtue called faith. I'll close this with a, an image from, as an Italian American, from my favorite movie, Baptism Scene, which is from Godfather One, where, of course, we are meant to see oh my in gosh. the great baptism scene. If you've if you've seen the movie, the duplicity. I reject of, all of them. Yeah, yeah, of the rejection of sin by the godfather, Michael Corleone, as his enemies are being taken out by his right. henchmen. That is so well done. It is movie. It is incredibly well done. And so don't be Michael Corleone is yeah. my advice. Yeah, <laughs> that's good advice in so many ways for so many things. Don't be Michael Corleone. Corleone. <laughs> Don't That's, like what would he do? Don't do it. Yeah. Don't well, do yeah, it. Yeah, Michael Corleone in The Godfather, just a complete sidebar, is he is a villain not because he's not an honorable man, because he is in many ways. It's because he's duplicitous and two faced. He's a hypocrite. He is, and he was the one that said he was better than it. 
Yeah, he was supposed to. The whole to, first part, he yeah. was better than it. He was outside of it. And then he became the worst of them all. Yeah. He is a truly magnificently evil person. Yeah. One of the most evil not people be- in all of cinema. Not because of, like, say, the Joker in, in The Dark Knight, because he's clearly and plainly nihilistically evil. Right, right. But more the duplicitousness of the Pharisees in the gospel. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the way he treats his brother. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, man, that scene at the end of Godfather 2 where he's all alone, that's hell. Yep. That's hell right yep. there when yep. he's just in that dark room by himself. He has nobody. He has nobody. Not yeah. even his wife and his kids. Well, I uh, thought of the Psalms when you said that Tim Gray says, right, you read the Psalms to see a model of what a good man looks like and what an evil man looks like. And both of them are instructive. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Michael Corleone is a modern <laughs> psalm example. Yeah, so don't be Michael Corleone. Don't Baptize Michael Corleone. your kids. Come um, to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, once again, this is 10,000 Places, and we have gone many places in search of Christ. We pray, listener, that you do as well. If you have questions or concerns or are interested in sponsoring us, you can email us at 10,000placespodcast at gmail.com. 10,000 places spelled out. Podcast also spelled out. Just spell it all out. Except for at. Use the symbol. And yeah. the dot. Don't spell out the dot. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you can figure out what how to email us from all that junk that just happened. I'm Alex Giltner. I'm Justin Aquila. I'm Lewis Pearson. This has been 10,000 Places. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.